Welcome everybody to Radcast Outdoors. We're hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Uh, today we're going to kind of introduce ourselves as this is the new County 10 podcast. Uh, I want to start this off with a quote from somebody that we all love, Mr. Patrick McManus. Um, he said once, there was one angler who believed that if you can't do a thing right, you shouldn't do it at all. A strict adherent to this philosophy, he hadn't been fishing once in the past 37 years. And of course, Patrick McManus, as we all know, wonderful writer, um, and we all miss him. But I just want to introduce us today. So my name is Patrick Edwards. I'm the avid angler on this show. Um, not much into the hunting side. I do it a little bit, but definitely into the fishing side. And I've got David here. So David, introduce yourself. Yeah, good morning. I'm David Merrill, and I'm the avid hunter on the side of this podcast. I would say I do a little fishing, but... Yeah, I do the hunting just for the meat, but David actually goes for those big boys out there and has a lot of fun doing it. So we're actually going to talk a little bit about David first, um, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of background on him. So so David, tell us a little bit about what kind of got you into hunting as a young man. I would say I'm going to blame my father right up front. He's an avid fisherman. And from, I mean, I was probably... There's stories of when I was one or two in my car seat screaming because he had just had to stop and fish some little stream somewhere. Even today when we go elk hunting together, midday he'll stop and cut a willow branch and miraculously pull a, a fly out of his backpack and he'll be fishing, you know, little brookies in a, a stream that you couldn't even spit in. <laughs> I just he's He's been that way ever since day one and I got plenty of fishing exposure as a young man, but I didn't get the hunting that I wanted or or thought I should. So that propelled me to just chase this dream of hunting. And I've chased it, you know, a couple continents and the last 20 years pretty hard. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about you being a hunter, you know, with me on the fishing, you always have those experiences that you're like, man, this is kind of the defining moment where I really got hooked, you know, no pun intended being the fisherman guy, but what really got you hooked into hunting? Like what was the first experience that really sold you and made that your thing? There was one or two trips when I was really early teens. We took all the uncles and cousins and went on the family deer hunt or the family pheasant hunt or the family duck hunt. And it was, I mean, literally, we did one Saturday pheasant, one Saturday ducks, and one Saturday deer for the whole year. And those couple, you know, from 13, 14 to 16 were were the iconic, hey, I want to do more of this, not just, you know, because I couldn't sleep Friday night before we're going to go. And we'd go and we might shoot a handful of birds or maybe get one deer but there was just enough of a taste there that I'm like hey there's more to this let's go yeah and I'm sure that experience I know for me the first time I shot at a big game animal you get that rush that just kind of fills your whole body and it's hard to explain to somebody who's never been hunting but all you hunters out there understand it when you've got something in your scope and you're going for them so I would say there's this uh, progression that I've seen over and over again, whether it be fishing or hunting or or any outdoor activity, where first you just want to go and you want to, you know, enjoy it to the max, right? So if it's fishing, I just want to catch every fish in the stream. And then you progress to where I only want to catch the biggest fish in the stream. Mm-hmm. And after, after enough of this and after catching enough big fish, I see people transition to, I just want to take other people and expose them and show them why I love this so much. And I, you know... I, I've seen fishermen, older guys, get to the point where, no, you can have the hole first, and they just want to sit there, and they're just happy to be out amongst people doing their hobby. Mm -hmm. So tell me, 
you know, what was what was your big first kill like for big game that was probably your most exciting experience? I w- there's been a lot, right? So it's it's hard <laughs> to pick one iconic that I would say trumps the rest of them. But my very first bow hunt was a a guy named Kendall Wood. He he approached me in my early teens and said, "Hey, if you can get a bow, I'll take you over to the family ranch and we'll go bow hunt for seven days." And being, I was 15, 16, and all I'd done is, you know, one-day hunts before. This was, so I mowed lawns all summer, saved all my money, still didn't have enough. And I, I can remember I went up to a, a little sporting goods store and bought a PSE Nova package, came with all the arrows and sights, and aluminum XX75 Game Getter arrows. I had nine of them when I left. I came back with two, <laughs> and I shot this little forked horn muley buck. But, you know, I, I can remember... The deer I didn't get was coming down a uh, ditch line in a cornfield, and it was like 28 yards, and I shot that arrow right through his rack, because what was I looking at when that buck came through? I was looking at his rack. (laughs) I can to this day remember that arrow tinging through his horns, and I I was so disappointed I didn't get him, but talk about a memorable experience. I was 16 and on a big game hunt like, like some of the heroes that we know about. Right. And just so all of you know, David's definitely an archery guy. I mean, he loves to shoot stuff with his bow. He obviously does some some rifle hunting as well. But you got to um, fill the freezer sometime, yeah, right? Exactly. So, but tell us, kind of, what's the difference for you? Like, what you feel is the biggest difference between bow hunting and rifle hunting? So, I, I want to caveat this with. I, I don't care what weapon it is, right? As far as I think we all are out there to enjoy the sport together. But for me personally, you know, to be an archery hunter, you have to get rifle close. I have to get to 100, 150 yards and then figure out how I'm going to get five or six times closer. And that encounter with the animals and learning how to utilize the terrain to your advantage, keep the wind right, that game, that chess game that you fail at more often than you succeed is what is so alluring and attractive to bow hunting for me. Yeah, I could definitely see that. There's been a handful of times where I've been hunting where you get really close to an animal and it's just something special about that like especially a big bull elk like when you're within you know a stone's throw or less it's it's kind of one of those things that really gets you amped um, and I know you had some success this fall um, doing some some bow hunting um, tell me a little bit about that and kind of how that experience went because I know you took your your son with you so so I mean we I I, I try and hunt 365 if I could I would but you know so we we have that early archery antelope season that opens in August and I look forward to that every year because it's a it's a month earlier than most of the other archery seasons so we spent a couple days driving around looking picked out a nice buck and finally built a blind and I took the uh, the six-month-old and the seven-year-old on Saturday I just didn't have babysitters that day and I said you know what we'll make this happen and lo and behold, the, the six-month-old was asleep right next to me. We, I built a pretty big blind right on the edge of a water hole, and we were watching antelope, and it was the uh, the seven-year-old that opened a bag of Cheetos, and it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, and the buck that we were, you know, after the one we picked out, he was about 90 yards away looking at us, and he did not like that little Cheeto bag r- <laughs> rattling around. So we had to go back the next the next week, and uh got to leave the six-month-old at home with mama but the seven-year-old and I we uh we sat there for a couple hours and it was really neat to watch him 
I let him take the camera and take photos of, you know, there were some ducks on the pond and the wind was blowing the cattails just a little bit and we had does come in and getting to spend that quality time. You know, it wasn't so much about getting the world's biggest antelope. And obviously it's not the most physically challenging, daunting hunt. I mean, you, we drove the quad, unloaded our gear and our lunch and all our coats <laughs> into the blind and park the quad out of the way and hop in there. But just getting to spend that quiet time waiting, talking with him is is probably the epitome of why I still hunt, right? The harvest is secondary. It's important. The meat is, I love the, the clean quality protein, but that time of, you know, and after we harvested that buck and it was a very lethal, very clean kill, you know, my son and I walk up there and he's just, I let him go up first and put his hands on it. And he's just, you know, enamored, you know, just loving everything about it. And he's got his own little hunting knife and dad, can I help you cut it? And are we going to put it in the schooler? And, you know, so all that building those long-term memories for me, you know, so we transitioned from that archery antelope hunt into the the big leagues, like I call it. And that's my brother come for archery elk. And that was up before dark after, you know, back out after dark. And we play with the grizzly bears quite a bit. So it's, it's a whole different realm and world and it's a little more serious. I think that's where you and I have a real common thread is we both want our kids to enjoy fishing, hunting, the outdoors experience, especially being here in Wyoming, being so close to the Wind River Range, having just ample <laughs> opportunities to chase lots of different kinds of game and different fish. Um, you know, I, I think you brought up a good point, you know, getting that time in a blind or like for me being on the bank, you know, of a river or a reservoir in the boat, you know, with your kids is just such a important part of just enjoying the outdoors that we have here. So, you know, it's when, when the meat's gone, which I love the meat and the trophies on the wall, which is a a nice totem to remember. But, you know, I can think of one just thinking back has not been that long ago. I, you know, I lived in Alaska for a while and enjoyed my experience up there, but Wyoming suits me much better. However, I got my sister, my father, my brother, and my grandfather on the bank up there in Alaska and we're all holding fish. And you know, that to me, when you talk about on the bank of the river, yeah, it's, it's not what I want to do of big bull elk, archery elk hunting, right? It's not, it's not the big leaks for me, but that photo, you know, iconically, you got my 80 year old grandfather there catching sockeyes with my sister and my dad and my brother. How do you get more involved than that? Right. And, and I mean, yeah, I think that's the really important thing to remember is that we do have such a great opportunity with where we live and the different places you and I've been, you know, and been able to fish and hunt um, and getting to share that with good people, you know, whether it be friends or your family. I mean, either one is just so special and rewarding. Like I have pictures, you know, with my buddies where we're holding up a string or a fish or, you know, we're out on the boat or, or whatever, you know, with my kids, I just showed you that one where they caught that, you know, seven, eight pound walleye the other day, you know, having all four of my kids holding that fish up, that's just a really cool thing. And the level of pride, it, it's very hard to express, right? You know? Right. Exactly. So I'm going to transition just a little bit. And I want to talk about your invention, um, just to kind of, you know, let people know who you are and kind of some of the stuff that you're working on. So David is, uh, quite the entrepreneur, I would say, and he's got a creative mind and he developed this really cool bow packing system. 
um, for archery hunting. So I'm going to have him tell you just a little bit about it because I think this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So it all stems from, you know, this, this love and passion of archery that I've had for years and years and years. And I, I come across one day, I'm, I'm backpacking in and I do lots of miles, lots of trails. And here's this nice bull elk standing in the middle of the trail in a place I wasn't anticipating to intercept an elk. If I would have had my bow in my hand instead of having it strapped to my backpack and, and using hiking poles to, to, you know, hike in the five, six miles and out, I would have, I would have harvested that bull because he's right there and it's just right now. Well, as it was, by the time I got my bow unclipped off my backpack, he's gone, you know, and I'm left with this feeling of dismay. I'm a little disappointed in myself, like, come on, you, you know better than this. You shouldn't be messing this situation up. So that, that spurred me on to create a solution to, to give everyone a, a quick access, easy access to their bow. You know, when they need it, they can grab it. And the system is, it's slick. It works really well. It's a two-part pit. It's a two-part system. You know, there's a part that mounts on your bow and a part that mounts, the receiver mounts virtually anywhere. And it gives, it gives guys, you know, that access instantaneously. Now I've transitioned to do a lot more horseback stuff just because I'm getting older and wiser, I, I would say. <laughs> but even on the horse, how, how do you manage your bow, right? And that it, it can be quite dangerous. You've got sharp sticks that, you know, yeah, even when they're not loaded, they, they can be lethal to you and the horse. And I was doing the same thing, trying to strap my bow to my backpack, and it just it doesn't work. So now you end up trying to hold your bow and ride a horse well you can't manage your horse you can't direct and and handle the reins and your horse and hold your bow so this system you know makes it i've got a couple youtube videos on the youtube channel and we're going to launch product and and sell this thing quite well because it it solves the problem of how do i manage this bow from my house to the field back to my house and one thing that i think is really cool about it i've been around outdoor products for quite a while um on the fishing side, but I also, that overlaps into hunting quite a bit. So one of the things that I find intriguing about what you've designed is that it works for your tree stand guys. You know, a lot of the people where it's so thick, you know, out on the East coast and, you know, kind of the Midwest and down South in Texas, you know, those tree stand guys can benefit from it because you can use it in a tree stand. But for us here in Wyoming, where you're spotting stock, you're walking a lot, you're traveling a lot of miles covering ground, it's really nice because not only can you mount it on your back, but like you were talking about, you can also put it on your belt. So you could actually have it on your side. And so tell me a little bit about the versatility there. So, you know, part of this came from, I used another competitor's product out there trying to solve this same problem. And I dropped my bow on the middle of gravel road on like a seven day hunt. Now, thankfully, I mean, it didn't, didn't cause any major problems, but it could have. And the rest of the trip, I put that thing away and didn't didn't use that that product. So being able to, you know, I used this one extensively this season, and it, I, I my brother used one as well. I was calling for him mostly, but I got to the point because I was a caller. My bow was on my back ninety eight percent of the time. Right, my hands are free to work the calls. My hands are free to tie my boot and just move through brush and. And really pay attention to use my binoculars and direct him where he needed to be. But being able to have that, you know, there was a couple times I wanted quicker access and then even my backpack. So I had one on the back of my backpack, one on my hip. I'd take my bow off my backpack, 
hold it for a second. Oh, I'm not going to get an opportunity because there's a shooter in front of me. So I'd quick put it on my hip. Now it's literally right there, but it's hands-free, and I'm not going to be walking anywhere. So it's it's stationary, but in the past I would just lay it on the ground, and that's that's the last place I want my highly tuned piece of equipment is laying on the ground somewhere. Yeah, no kidding. You definitely don't want to drop it and ruin the cams, <laughs> different very fragile pieces on those bows because, I mean, what's the average bow cost nowadays? I mean, for the full flagship bow, just the bow itself is a grand, right? Yeah, it's crazy. So you don't want to drop that. And so one really cool thing about this product is that you can access your bow when you need it. You don't have to worry about it falling out. It's pretty cool. So those of you who are out there listening, you should definitely check it out. It's at bowspider.com. Um, you can also go to his YouTube, um, bow spider and find some videos on how it works. We're going to have more up on his website, but it's just a really cool product. And I'm really impressed that, you know, you were able to do that here, you know, in Wyoming, where we're at, come up with the idea, utilize the college right across the way to kind of help put it together. Um, and it's, it's just really neat to see it come into being. It's, it's been a fun journey, right? But it, it's been a journey, and we're, we're still on it. But, yeah, there's, I definitely do have to give a, a little bit of a shout-out to my professors at, at CWC. You know, having that higher-level education and, and going through and being able to directly apply some of the theories or some, some of the ideas that we're being taught in class to, to I mean, instantaneously go, oh, that's how I apply that to whether it be a marketing or accounting or any other idea. Right, exactly. So... Yeah, well, thanks for talking about that. I think that's uh, that's something cool for everybody to check out and just kind of get an idea of some of the stuff you're doing. So, Well, let's uh, transition a little bit and, and hear something about Patrick. Oh, boy. All right. What do you want to know? <laughs> so how would you get your start into fishing? Why, why are you so into fishing? So fishing has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Um, I had the kind of a cool upbringing in the fact that my dad worked for the Game and Fish here in Wyoming and actually retired from the game of fish. So one of the things in the old days that you could do is you could travel with your parent, you know, and ride in the work vehicle. You can't do that now, but back then you could, you know, and so we would travel to the state and you talked about your dad, how he sees a body of water. He wants to fish it. Well, that's me. You know, I see water and I'm like, okay, what kind of fish is in there? How many can I catch? You know, and I've been that way since I was a little boy. And one of the things that got me hooked on it was one day we went camping in the snowy range and my mom was sick. She was always sick when I was a kid. She had a terminal lung disease and we were having a, a good week. So we went camping. We we're like, we're going to go up, we're going to go do some camping. And so we camped next to this little stream and my dad got me a willow, put some string on it, like literally, I mean, this old school, right? So string on it, a piece of split shot for some weight and a hook. And then I had, you know, a few little worms and grasshoppers and things that I found for bait. And so what I did is I went and I hopped and skipped between rocks and I would dunk it in the eddy behind the rocks and pull out brook trout. And I just had so much fun pulling brook trout out from under those rocks and in those little eddies and those little spots in that little creek. And then I'll never forget this. My first meal of fresh brook trout fried over a skillet on a campfire was some of the best fish I've ever eaten in my life. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, you kind of talked about it earlier, but you get that desire to see what else can I catch? You know, how many can I catch? How big a one can I catch? Um, and you know, I've done everything from, you know, the deep sea fishing stuff, 
you know, in Alaska and Hawaii and Costa Rica, but also doing a lot of the in, you know, inland stuff, freshwater stuff here in the United States where, you know, chasing muskies, pike, walleye, you know, panfish, and they're all different. And so I guess that's, that's kind of my thing is that there's so much variety in fishing and also it's a 365 season. You know, I can go fishing anytime I want. So that's that's one of the things that really kind of got me hooked on fishing. What would you say has been your one of your most memorable catches? Most memorable catch. Well, uh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, I would say probably in more recent terms, um, it was. About, well, it was probably about eight years ago. This this was a really cool opportunity. I, I went tiger muskie fishing. And so there was this reservoir in Utah that I went to that has tiger muskies in it. And I like catching fish on top water. It's, it's kind of the adrenaline rush that you get, you know, maybe bow hunting or something like that, where sometimes you can see that fish actively coming up to smash your lure. And uh, so I had a family member with me and he's a huge musky angler. He's like, I want to see you catch something big on top water. And he had this spot and wanted me to try it out. So I was throwing this top water lure that just kind of plops across the surface. And I could see this wake come out from beside the bank and start following it. And my adrenaline just shot through the roof, man. It was like, Oh boy, here comes something big. And this big old tiger musky just enveloped that lure and took off. And I mean, it was, a very intense <laughs> you know exciting moment catching that fish and uh you know being able to get a picture and release it it just felt really good you know to finally catch something that was big on a top water and doing it in that fashion was just really cool um i like getting the adrenaline rush of watching a fish come up and smack a lure so you know i i i spoke a little bit to it i'd fished a lot with my dad when i was young i haven't done it as much now but I quickly transitioned from, you know, spinners and baits to fly fishing and then to dry fly fishing just because of that adrenaline rush of, you know, you lay that nice little midge or you lay that little little fly right right where you think it should be and then all of a sudden fish rises and takes it and there's just it's 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 addicting. It is. The other one that I really like is I like catching walleye at night. And one of the things I like to do is I like to fish suspending crankbaits at night where you'll work the lure for a little bit, pause it, and then, you know, you'll have the fish come and try to rip it, you know, <laughs> try to rip the rod out of your hand kind of deal. You know, most of the walleyes don't hit that hard, but sometimes you'll get the occasional brown and rainbow that are also hunting at night. And that, to me, is also another good adrenaline rush. Plus, like we talked about it, when you're in the outdoors, especially here in Wyoming at night, and you look up and you can see the full Milky Way galaxy above you and it's just so beautiful. Those are the kind of moments that keep me going back to fishing. It's not just catching the fish, but again, it's that experience of being outside, being under the stars, or you know, even in the daytime when I'm fishing early in the morning, the sun's coming up. Those kind of things really just keep me coming back. It, 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 it transitions and transcends from being the harvest to being the overall experience. And I'd have to agree with you on the, on the stars as you know, I've, as a kid grew up in the Pacific Northwest and went to the planetarium and it's, it's dark and rainy and drizzly there all the time, but occasionally you get a a starry (laughs) night, but not even the planetariums can equal when you're up here in this high altitude on a clear night 
you know, especially a moon moonless night. It just you can, it, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I think my two favorite times of pursuing fish at night are the the new moon and then of course the full moon. You get two different experiences. You know, you get the pitch black of the new moon where you know it's just the stars. So I mean, you can see the Milky Way in all its glory, and the fishing's usually pretty decent. I don't know what it is about the moon phase, but it usually works. And then on the full moon, you can see almost like it's daytime. And so it, it's just kind of a cool experience where you can move around a little bit easier. But um, both of those are just incredible experiences. Absolutely. So as, as a younger man, you know, I, I got this hunting bug. And 17, 18, I decided to go to guide school. I went to a place called uh, Royal Tyne Guide School up in uh, Phillipsburg, Montana. And it was a great class, great instruction. I was there six weeks learned horsemanship, learned guiding, and proceeded to come out of that and go guide for a couple of years. And that's, I found out very quickly that when you're guiding, you don't get to hunt, right? <laughs> so, but I've spent as many trail miles and hours on horseback in the dark as I have in the light. And just like what you're saying, it's, it's amazing on, on a, a full moon night. Yeah, I could, I could see exactly where the horses go and I can see a couple hundred yards. You know, it's, it's almost, it's daylight out there. But on those new moon nights, you can't see the back of your horse's head, and it's phenomenal how that horse, it, you know, during the day that they all kind of mess around, you know, they're they're goofing off, they're everything's fine, but at night they're 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 a little bit worried about predators, so they all line out, they all quit messing around, and they they want to go to bed, they're, they're done, so it it makes for a much more pleasurable horse experience, <laughs> other than the fact that you can't see your hand waving in front of your face. Yeah, and sometimes that's a little freaky in and of itself. <laughs> so, Well, what else we got to talk about today? Well, I think um, it's just kind of good to introduce, you know, what we're going to be doing. Um, kind of the idea that we have with this is to really talk about a diverse set of topics. It's not, it's not just going to be hunting and fishing. Um, Dave and I really want to talk about you know, outdoor survival, maybe wilderness medicine, climbing, number of different things. Because if you're an outdoorsman, you're going to run into a lot of situations. Um, I know I have either, whether it be hunting or fishing, there's always something that you run into or even just backpacking, you know, and just some general safety tips and pieces of nuggets of information that are helpful. Learned over lots of hard experiences, right? Yeah, exactly. So So whether it be you know, mountain climbing or just backpacking or fishing or hiking or horseman stuff. I think we're going to have a pretty diverse group of guests and people to, to share these ideas and these skills and, and these thoughts learned again, some of them the hard way. Yep. And so we hope that you guys will tune in and, and listen. Um, it's definitely going to be pretty informal. We just talk like we would around a campfire. Um, but just talking about the outdoors is something that's big for David and I. It's one of our passions and So that's what we plan to do on this podcast. So we hope you all will listen.